Well, as I checked the sermonic archives, I realized I haven't preached this in five years, and that's probably too long because internationals are in and out of here in about two, uh, sometimes three, three years. So, um, why do we hold to the Bible? Um, some of you may have questions about that. Some of you may have... Uh, some. Let me put it this way. Some, some questions are legitimate, some maybe not so legitimate, but I want to talk about that tonight. And uh, again, I think it's important in the life of the church that we do that on occasion. So, tonight I won't be preaching from the Bible. I'll be preaching about the Bible. Obviously, we'll pull some texts out to take a look at them. But on a church website, you'll read this. This is our missions statement. I'm sure most of you have it committed to memory but let me just read it to you. Uh, this is our mission statement. We join God the Father in magnifying the supremacy of His glory through our Lord Jesus Christ in the power of the Holy Spirit by treasuring all that God is, loving all whom He loves, praying for all His purposes, meditating on all His Word. There it is. Meditating on all His Word, sustained by all His grace, we delight in all that God is, all that He has done, and all that He has promised for His own. He is our treasure and our joy. So I hope you hear it. God is the center of the International Church of Milan. Because God is the center of the International Church of Milan, the Bible is preached here. Because the Bible, the 66 books of the Bible, is, it's the Word of God. We believe that with all our heart, soul, mind, and strength. Another thing you see on the website is you'll see 20 values that, that we try to incorporate in ministry, in worship, and in living together. Does anybody know what all 20 of those values ha have in common? Yes, you guessed it. Um, each one is, is uh, supported by a Scripture verse. And on the website you'll also read this. We affirm the authority and sufficiency of Scripture. The 66 books of the Old Testament and New Testament alone are the trustworthy, infallible, inerrant Word of God. You've heard me say it many times. If it's not in here, it's speculation. I don't care who says it. I don't care how cool a robe the guy has or how big a palace he lives in. If it's not in here, it's speculation. It doesn't matter who says it. If God has not said it, it is indeed speculation. We believe at the International Church of Milan that every book, every chapter, every verse, every word, every syllable of the Word of God is God-breathed. He means what He says, and He says what He means. This is what we hold dear and true at ICM. I consciously say the 66 books of the Bible because... We, as most Protestants, we do not recognize the apocryphal books of the Eastern Orthodox Church and the Roman Catholic Church. They include uh, some, some books that uh, they put with, between the Testaments. We do not, we do not recognize those as um, inspired. Our Old Testament is simply made up of the Hebrew Bible. The 24 books of the Old Hebrew Bible we bring into our English New Testament uh, which is 39 books in the Old Testament, and of course, the 27 books of the New Testament. So, we've made a conscious decision in this church, and, and those of you who've been around for any length of time, you realize this is all we do. We don't care what men say. Men may say good things, but if God hasn't said it, we're not overly interested in it. We want to know what God has said to us. God's Word is our meat. It is our drink. It is our bread. Amen? So we gather in here. The center of our worship is not great music, although we have some great musicians and great singers. The center of our worship is to hear from God. So we come in here to hear from God, and normally, you know, I'm preaching verse by verse, or uh, I'm preaching a specific text. So that's what we do. God is the center of who we are and what we do. We don't just... Say this because it's proper. 
<laughs> yes, it's proper for any church that claims to be Christian to hold to the Bible. But we don't say it simply because it's proper. We say it because we have encountered God in the Scriptures. We say it because we love it. We say it because God is speaking to us from the Bible. This is not some religious confession that we make. We have met God in His Word and God speaks to us in His Word and He changes us through His Word. As many of you know, Many denominations have left or are leaving the Word of God. They no longer hold to this as their final authority. They have some other authority that they use or they edit God. They dispense with the hard stuff. They dispense with the text they don't like. They dispense with the texts that run counter to the modern culture. We know that that's rampant. Many of you have been exposed to churches like that. I will say so-called churches because once you leave the Word of God, you are no longer a church in a Christian sense. The only, uh, yeah, it's one of the hallmarks of a true church. The true church of Jesus Christ, the true body of Christ is we hold to the Word of God. Once you leave it, once you edit it, once you spin it, once you market it, once you add to it or take away from it, you have ceased to be a New Testament church. In a biblical sense, you know that many who call themselves uh, Christian churches now, they, they'll use God's Word, but they don't really need it because they just make stuff up. <laughs> they just make stuff up. You say, well, where does that come from? Well, some guy said it back in the 5th century. Oh, really? Or some council you know, issued this edict back in the 13th century. Oh, really? But you can't substantiate it with the Word of God. No, not really. Beloved, we have to be careful of these things. We have to, listen, you know, I caution you all the time. Pseudo-Christianity is rampant. It's everywhere. You have to be in a church that preaches this. Only this. Everything else is speculation. Everything else is speculation. So, why do these denominations and why do preachers and pastors and bishops and elders and priests and popes and patriarchs, how do they get away with preaching untruth? How do they get away with with preaching things that are not from Scripture? How do they get away with it? You know how they get away with it, right? It's because the people sitting in the chairs and in the pews, they don't know it well enough to challenge their pastors, their priests, their popes and their patriarchs. Your responsibility, I tell you this all the time, it's your responsibility to know the Word of God. You claim to be a Christian. You cannot simply have some passing interest in the Word of God. It can't simply be a hobby. It can't simply be a devotion every once in a while. It must be (laughs) your food, your bread, your meat, your drink, as I said earlier. We have to have it. You can't live Christianity. Now, you can do religion, but you cannot live as Christ has called us to live. You can't be a disciple if you're not eating this. You can't do it. It's impossible. Trust me, I've tried. You can't do it unless you're hearing from God, unless you're spending time with God in the Word of God and you're being changed by the power of the Word of God through the Spirit of God. It's how He works, beloved. It's how the Lord works. Paul warned Timothy that the day would come, and of course it's here, is it not? I'll just read you the text, 2 Timothy 4, 3-4. through The time will come when they will not endure sound doctrine, but wanting to have their ears tickled, they will accumulate for themselves teachers in accordance to their own desires and will turn away their ears from truth and will turn aside to myths. Well, that's another sermon or two. We won't pursue that any further. But the Bible told us this day would come. You know, I think I've said it many times, we would love to have 10,000 people in here, be a little crowded, but we won't do it at the expense of God's Word. Um, You know, obviously, I've been doing this 11 years. You have a number of people who come in. They actually hear me preach a text. They say, this guy's nuts. They leave. They never come back. Um, Some people really, in all honesty, some people don't want to hear the truth. They really don't. They want you to stroke them 
You know, just give me a nice spiritual stroke. Let me check my box and I'll be on my way. A lot of people like that. But to be challenged by the Word of God, uh, a lot of people are not so interested. So, we never want anyone to be misled. Anytime I talk to someone new about coming to the church, I say, we do the Bible, we preach the Bible, that's all we do. That's all we do. And I tell folks, leave your denominational baggage at the door. If you have denominational baggage, just leave it at the door. We're not going to do denominationalism in here. We're going to do the Word of God. So, that's who we are. And we are, as, as we read from the psalm there, Psalm 119, how sweet are your words to my taste. Amen? I don't think you'd be in this church very long if that were not true of you, because that's all we do. The psalmist says, yes, sweeter than honey to my mouth. Your Word is a lamp to my feet. It's a light to my path. Your Word is very pure. Therefore, Your servant loves it. Your statutes, they're my songs. I rejoice at Your Word as one who finds great spoil. Open my eyes that I may behold wonderful things from Your Word. I will run the way of Your Word and You will enlarge my heart, the psalmist says. So tonight, I just want to spend a few minutes talking about the Bible. Some of you may have very elementary questions about it. Some very legitimate questions. Maybe someone is, no one's ever taught you about this. Maybe you've not done the research on your own. So I'm going to teach probably much more than I preach tonight. Some of these questions might be, well, where did the Bible come from? How did it take its present form? Who determined what books would be included in the Bible? Uh, did any books get lost that should have been in the Bible? Who wrote the Bible? God or man? Has the Bible been protected from human tampering over time? How close are today's translations to the original manuscripts? Is there more Scripture to come beyond the 66 books? Does the Bible really deserve the title, The Word of God? There are three views in the world at large about the Bible. The view that this church holds, which is the Bible is the all-sufficient, trustworthy, inspired, infallible, inerrant Word of God. That's the view we hold. I think that's the view that any true church of Jesus Christ holds. The second view would be the Bible contains some truth, but uh-oh, there's some error in there. Uh-oh, uh, man got his opinion in there. Oh, some culturally biased comments are in there. Uh-oh, this is a view that, that some have. Of course, this view runs contrary to what the Bible says about itself, to what the apostles say, to what the church has always said down through the history of the church, and contrary to what Jesus has said. Jesus is very clear. The Old Testament is the Word of God. Everything that came out of the mouth of Jesus is the Word of God. And everything that came off the pen of the apostles is the Word of God. Now, if you have a problem with the Bible, you have a problem with Christ. This is simply the declaration of Jesus Christ. He did not acknowledge the, the apocryphal books, by the way. If you have a problem with the Bible, you have a problem with God incarnate. You have a problem with the Lord Jesus and then the last view, of course, is that the Bible is simply a book like any other book, possessing no inherent value or relevancy. So as I speak to our view, the, the, the view that ICM holds, that it is the Word of God, I think I will wholly discredit uh, the second and third view. And beloved, this is a huge deal for you. This is a huge deal for you. If you're in here tonight and you've not made that decision for yourself, that the Bible is the Word of God, and I desperately need it. I must have it. It is my oxygen. If you haven't come to that decision, this is a huge decision for you. This is, this is, there's not a bigger decision for you. It's, it's impossible for me to, to overstate how important this is for you, not only in this life, but for all eternity. So I want to ask you, do you believe the Bible is the Word of God? Let me ask you this, do you believe uh, the God we profess to believe in is God enough to reveal Himself and to preserve that revelation for His people? 
Listen, if you don't believe He's God enough to do that, I'm not sure you believe He's God at all. Of course, God can reveal Himself to His people and preserve that revelation for as long as it takes to bring in the last, the last Christian, the last elect, in. God does, we say it all the time, He does whatever He pleases. He's the great, sovereign, almighty God. Of course, He can reveal Himself and preserve that revelation for His people. Nobody gets between God and His people, beloved. No demon, no man, no denomination, no false religion gets between God and His people. So when you assert that there may be error in the Bible, really what you're asserting is God's no God at all. That's really what you're asserting. I'm not sure there's a, a greater insult. To just simply dismiss parts of Scripture because it makes me uncomfortable. Dismiss parts of, of, of Scripture because it's culturally problematic. And believe me, beloved, I hear these things. You know, I've been doing this, uh, I've been in ministry, uh, lay in vocational ministry for 30 years. I hear these things all the time. This is a great insult to God that you would stand in judgment of His Word. That denominations stand in judgment of God's Word. you realize this? This is what we're doing. When we edit God, we are standing in judgment on the Word of God, which is to stand in judgment on God Himself. Beloved, this is a serious matter for you. It's a serious matter for every human being on the planet. Again, it's impossible for me to overstate how important this is. Let me give you an analogy. Some of you have heard me use this before. Let's say that your life depends on you successfully traveling to a far distant destination to which you've never been through hostile territory to present yourself there as holy to a holy king. Oh yes, you have no food for the journey. You have no map to help find your way. You have no compass. You have no shield. You have no weapon. You are blind. You are in complete darkness. And you are painfully aware that you are not holy. That's your predicament. I cannot overstate how hopeless the, the, the predicament of mankind is apart from the revelation of God. If God does not graciously reveal Himself as He's done in Scripture... We're, we're hopelessly lost. We have absolutely no hope. But the Bible is our food. It is our map. It is our compass. It is our sword. and our, It is our sight. It is our holiness that Jesus Christ imparts to us. So we not, um, we not only don't have what we need for the journey, we have no means to acquire what we need for the journey apart from the gift that we have, and that's the Bible. And let me just stop and ask, how precious are the Scriptures to you? You know that countless, I don't even know what number to use, it is countless the number of people who have died because they love the Scriptures. Because they wouldn't deny the Scriptures. Because they held to the Scriptures. Men died simply because they translated the Scriptures out of the original language. And we have it. It's this awesome gift. We have it. We have the Word of God, right? We have the Word of God. Is there anything more important in your life than the Word of God? To know what God has said. To know how I... How I can be reconciled to Him? Is there anything more important than, than the Word of God? First, just a couple of facts, and then I'm gonna. Okay, I'm in. My, I'm gonna get in lecture mode here, and we're gonna just see some things that uh, probably most of you know. But uh, the Lord led me to to preach this tonight, so here we go. Just some simple facts. The English word Bible, it's derived from a Greek word that means roll or book. Scripture is a term used in the New Testament for the sacred writings of the Old Testament. Again, the Bible is a collection of books. A collection of 66 books. 39 in the Old Testament, 
27 in the New Testament. Listen to this. I think you'll like it. Maybe you've never heard it. If you haven't, I think you'll be impressed. The Bible is comprised of 66 books written by 40 different authors over a period of 1,500 years in three different languages on three different continents with a common storyline, theme, and message with no historical or factual errors and with no doctrinal contradictions. Did you know that? Did you know how mysterious this book is? You know, as one scholar aptly said, aptly said, he said, you know, go try to find another book like that. Go find another book with those characteristics. And of course, his student said, that's impossible. And the scholar said, yeah, it is. I'm going to read it to you again. 66, it's not one book. It's 66 books, 40 authors, written over a period of 1,500 years, three different languages, Three different continents, common storyline, theme, and message with no historical or factual errors and no doctrinal contradictions. Now, I didn't say there was no mystery. <laughs> you know, people come to me all the time and they, they found a, a, an error or a contradiction in the Scripture and really what it is, it's a mystery. Obviously, there's mystery. There has to be mystery, Right? Don't ever apologize for the mystery. Of course there's mystery. He's I am. And you're you. You're dust in the wind. Infinite mind. Two and a half pounds of gray matter. Right? Of course there's mystery. The mystery is supposed to be worship-provoking. We don't run from the mystery. We don't try to explain away the mystery. We don't apologize for the mystery. He's a mysterious God. It's one of my favorite attributes of God. I'll spend a billion eternities investigating just how mysterious He is. I love this about Him. Yeah, there's mystery. Praise God, there's mystery. You know, as, as one of the old Puritans said, you know, a comprehended God is no God at all. There is mystery. There's mystery in the Word. We should embrace it. And I, as I say, my favorite example, <laughs> favorite example, and I won't get into it, but you know, don't try to explain the Trinity to anybody. It's just, it's, it's a fool's errand to try to explain the Trinity. You can't explain the Trinity. God doesn't explain the Trinity. He simply reveals the Trinity. It's okay to stand there. I, you know, my, my, one of my seminary professors, my theology professor in seminary, smartest man I've ever met. He left computer science, could have made a billion, wanted to be a, a, a theology professor in a little seminary. You've got to love a guy like that, right? And we would ask him all these questions, right? And we thought, we're going to get all the answers. Dr. Dr. Keithley knows, man. He knows. If anybody knows, Dr. Keithley knows. And my favorite thing he would say he would say, I have no idea. We'd ask him one of those deep and lofty and weighty questions. He'd say, I have no idea. And then we would worship. And then we would worship. Beloved, don't be afraid of the mystery. Don't apologize for the mystery. So what's the scope of the Bible? Well, we got creation, the fall of man, the history of Israel, the promise of the coming Messiah, all in the Old Testament, New Testament. You have the ministry words, uh, in the words of uh, the promise to Messiah, that's God incarnate, Jesus Christ, you have His atonement, resurrection, and ascension. You have the establishment of the church and the revelation of last things. The Bible is often called the special revelation of God because it's, 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 it's what God has given us. Now, you know the, natu the, the, the natural revelation is obviously the fingerprints of God we see in the created order. We, we know there's a God. We can see it in the created order, but we don't know how to be saved by the natural revelation. We are, God is communicating to us how to find Him and be saved through special revelation. So let's talk a little bit about God's publishing process. The Bible does not expect you to speculate about this uh, on how the divine message was communicated from God. The Bible anticipates these questions and answers these questions. So, how did God get the Word to us? It's called, as most of you know, it's called Revelation. God took the initiative to reveal Himself to a rebellious race. He should have simply judged us. He said, the day you eat thereof, you shall surely die. Right? He should have simply judged us. 
But He has graciously revealed Himself. One thing I always like to say when I'm talking to you about the Bible is it is not God's explanation. People come to me like, you know, okay, I have a degree and I've studied the Bible and I should be able to explain everything. And that, of course, it's dovetailing on what I just said about mystery. But the Bible is not God's explanation. He's not explaining Himself to anyone, much less His rebellious creatures. God is graciously revealing Himself. Amen? He graciously reveals Himself, but He never explains Himself. I uh, cite as an example the book of Job. He never told Job anything about anything. He just revealed Himself to Job and blew Job's socks off. God doesn't explain Himself to men. So, Revelation. In biblical times, God, by His sovereign will, He would choose men and He would reveal Himself to those men. Those men would receive that truth and they would uh, record that truth. This is the process of what we call revelation. Um, as they would receive the Word of God, we're now talking about inspiration. The proper definition of inspiration would be the supernatural influence of the Holy Spirit upon divinely chosen men to compose and record without error God's revelation. This means that God's divine truth that flowed through the minds and the souls and the hearts and emotions of these chosen instruments. 2 Timothy 3.16-17 says, All Scripture is inspired by God. It simply means it's God-breathed. Okay, It's from God. It came from Him. Notice that um, it is the Scripture that is inspired of God, not the human writers. Scripture is not the result of an inspired human. Scripture is inspired by God. There's a huge distinction there. Peter gives some insight into this. 2 Peter 1, 20 and 21, he says, knowing this first, that the prophecy of Scripture is, uh, is not of any private interpretation, for prophecy never came by the will of man, but holy men of God spoke as they were moved by the Holy Spirit. By these means, the Word of God is protected from human error in its original writing by God the Holy Spirit. Okay? So how did we get the Bible we have now? It's called the canon. How did we get it? Um, how did the Bible take its present form? There are three widely recognized principles that were used to validate the writings of uh, uh, the writings as divinely inspired. First, the writing had to be from a recognized uh, Old Testament prophet, New Testament apostle, or an associate of the New Testament. There are six New Testament books that alter this or uh, differ from this in, in one way or another. You, that you may know that uh, Mark was the penman of Peter and Luke who wrote Luke and Acts as the penman of Paul. James and Jude, who were they? We've talked about them a lot recently. James and Jude, they were the half-brothers of Jesus Christ. So, And then of course Hebrews, we don't know who wrote Hebrews, but its content was so in keeping with both Old and New Testament, the, the, the first century church determined that it was indeed inspired by God and given as part of the canon. Some of you know that the Bible took its final form at the Council of Carthage in the 4th century. And it's important to acknowledge that you didn't have a group of men voting on which books should make it and which books shouldn't make it. That's not what happened. What happened was the council simply acknowledged what the New Testament church had already decided was inspired. The New Testament church had already made their determinations of what was inspired and what should belong in the canon. Sometimes you go out on, uh, and listen to a documentary and you'll, 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 you'll see these, these guys come up with the so-called lost gospels of Thomas or the, the lost gospel of Judas or the lost gospel of Mary Magdalene or blah, 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 blah. There's a reason they were lost. Okay? They were, they were discredited. Um... They weren't seen to be inspired of God. So preservation, how can we be sure the integrity of the Bible uh, that we have today 
is what God gave us. You guys know that Satan's attack was what? When he came to Adam and Eve, what, was he, what did he attack? What was the first thing Satan attacked when he came? The Word of God. He said, indeed, has God said? So we know that there's an adversary against the Word of God, right? We also know that mankind is an enemy of the truth. We just go to Romans 1. We see that mankind has exchanged the truth of God for a lie. Also in Romans 1, we see that mankind aggressively and proactively suppresses the truth within him. So, Satan is an adversary. Fallen man is an adversary. How can we be sure? How can we be sure that, you know, that the, the text hasn't been tampered with? That its integrity has been lost? How can we be sure? Well, the simplest thing for me to say to you, again, is that God is sovereign. God is a sovereign God. He's an omnipotent God. He does what He pleases. And you're not going to. You can't tamper with God's revelation, beloved. Impossible. It's not going to happen. That's the simplest way to answer. But God says in His Word, He says, the grass withers and the flower fades, but the Word of God stands forever. God's Word is unassailable by demons and by men and by pseudo-Christians and false denominations. His Word is unassailable. Also, Isaiah 46, 9 and 10, God says, For I am God, there is no other. I am God, there is no one like Me, declaring the end from the beginning. My purpose will be established and I will accomplish all My good pleasure. God's Word is invincible. Just like Him. It's a done deal. It cannot not happen. If God said it, it cannot not happen. He will bring it to pass. You can mark it down. Peter reaffirms these truths in the New Testament. 1 Peter 1, 24-25. Peter writes, For you have been born again, not of a seed which is perishable, but imperishable. That is, through the living and abiding Word of God. All flesh is like grass, and all its glory like the flower of grass. The grass withers and the flower falls off, but the Word of the Lord abides forever. Beloved, if God is God, this is a small thing for Him. You have to decide. you got a problem with the Bible? you got a problem with God. If you don't think He can reveal Himself and, re- and preserve that revelation, your God's no God at all. Your God is little g-God. Your God is a false God. He's certainly not. The warrior shepherd God we know is Jesus Christ. So regarding transmission and translation, as you know, the Bible was originally written in Hebrew, Aramaic, and Greek uh, between 1400 B.C. and 95 A.D. Now, I'm going to tell you some things here. I hope you'll listen. Some of you may be knowledgeable. If you're not knowledgeable, you know, go, go study it for yourself. You know, people that come to me and they want to question the Bible, I say, listen, the scholarship's been done. The scholarship's been done. All you have to do is go read it. All you have to do is go study it for yourself. The scholarship has been done, but what I have found in, on most occasions, it's not that people are genuinely seeking to substantiate what the Bible says. They're trying to find a way to dismiss it. The scholarship has been done. You have the Word of God in your lap. And I'm going to give you some textual evidences here. I studied this in seminary. We would study it and then we would worship. God has revealed Himself. And He's preserved it. And you have, if you have a a, a modern Bible in your hand or on your electronic device, and it's, proper, it's been properly translated. It's the Word of God. You've got it. He sent it to you. He preserved it for you. You have it. Beloved, you have it. This is an awesome thing. If this is a small thing to you, <laughs> if this is some of, of marginal interest to you, um, yeah, uh, I'm not sure I understand it. There's a science called textual criticism. This science has discovered, preserved, cataloged, and evaluated the oldest existing texts of the Bible. The number of existing biblical manuscripts dramatically outnumbers the existing fragments 
of any other piece of ancient literature. And of course, you know the Bible has been scrutinized uh, more thoroughly than any other document in the history of mankind. The biblical textual critic, he looks at all the existing copies to look for discrepancies, omissions, and errors. And let me just ask you, some of you will know, what are the two irrefutable textual evidences that we have an accurate Old Testament? Anybody know? Pardon me? Well, the words of Jesus, obviously. That's excellent. Yeah, Mary. The words of Jesus. Okay. Yeah, the histor- there's, we have historical evidence to, to corroborate the... But we know we have an accurate, testament, we have an accurate uh, copy of the Old Testament because of the Septuagint, right? The Greek translation that was written in 200 B.C. And because of something that was discovered in the 50s? The Dead Sea Scrolls, written around 200 B.C. as well. You have a pristine Old Testament in your lap. There is, in, in competent scholarly circles, there, there are no questions. There are no debates. You have a pristine Old Testament in your lap. I will, I will share with you that the consensus among textual critics is that one one-hundredth of one percent, there's, there's one one-hundredth of one percent that there's a question about, but it affects no major teaching or doctrine. I don't know. I don't know hardly any discipline of science that gets down to one one hundredth of one percent. I don't know. Regarding the New Testament, there are five thousand Greek New Testament manuscripts in existence. Same thing. You have an accurate New Testament in your lap or on your electronic device. There are no variants that substantially affect any Christian doctrine. You have the Word of God in its integrity. It's been preserved for you. I'm just going to ask you again, what are you doing with it? Are you studying it? Are you eating it? Are you memorizing it? Are you living it? Are you allowing it to change you? Beloved, it's an... Hey, you got a problem with the Bible? Go to seminary. Go to a good seminary and study it for yourself. <laughs> the scholarship's been done. You know, anyone who uh, denigrates the Bible, uh, they've not done their homework. You have an accurate copy of both the Old Testament and New Testament. So, and it's true. Uh, and I'll, let me just echo this. People who have a problem with Scripture, it's not an intellectual question. It's never an intellectual question. Again, the scholarship's been done. It's always a question of principle. It's a question, it's, it's a moral question. It's a spiritual question. It's not an intellectual question. We know what God has said. The thing is that many simply don't like what God has said, and so they begin to, to edit parts of the Bible. So what about English translations? Uh, there are many. Some of them are really, really bad. Uh, they're terrible, uh, as a matter of fact. But the best translations, in my opinion, I think by many conservatives as well, the New American Standard, which is the most literal, the King James Version, or the New King James Version, or the English Standard Version, which is somewhat new. Those would be the best English translations. So, is the canon closed? Will there be a 67th book? Is the 67th book coming? What do you think? No, it's not coming. Revelation is the last book. Uh, there's good reason for me to... Uh, I'm going to edit myself here. Just for, I'm not going to read some of the things that I have for you just for the sake of time. But, you know, you get to the end of Revelation it says something like, you know, if you add to or take away from this book, it's not going to be good for you. And I don't think uh, it's a coincidence. Not only is that true of the book of Revelation, it's, I think it's not coincidental that it's, uh, uh, that it's there and I think it would apply to all of Scripture. But just some observations about 
the close of the canon. Revelation is the last book. It closes out history. It takes us into eternity future. We have the whole story. Obviously, of course, there are no uh, Old Testament prophets walking around or New Testament apostles or New Testament apostle assistants or half-brothers of Jesus. So, in a biblical sense, there's no further vehicle for a, another revelation. Okay? There will not be a 67th book. Lastly, the early church, the ones that were closest to Christ and the writing of the New Testament, they believed Revelation was the last book. There will not be a 67th book. So what does the Bible say about itself? Does it claim to be the Word of God? Over 4,000 times. It claims to be the Word of God. So you know, you just have to decide. <laughs> you have to decide. Here's the thing. God lets you decide. Are you going to receive His revelation or are you going to reject it? Are you going to love it or are you going to be cavalier with it? Are you going to eat it or are you going to let it set on the shelf? It's your decision. God lets you decide. I want you to know and understand that in Scripture, the person of God and the Word of God are everywhere interrelated. So, so much so that whatever is true about the character of God is true about the Word of God. If you denigrate the Word of God, you are denigrating God. If you cast aspersions on the Word of God, you are casting aspersions on the character of God. The Bible is clear. Thus saith the Lord. Your only decision is to accept it or reject it. That's your decision, beloved. God is true, impeccable, and reliable. Consequently, so is His Word. What a person thinks about God's Word in reality reflects what the person thinks about God. Those who hold a low view of Scripture, they think there may be some error in there, they have a low view of God. That's just simply the truth, beloved. It's just simply the truth. So, what are the implications of a low view of the Bible? In my view, it's indefensible. This, 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 this concept that, well, maybe the Bible has some of God's revelation in it, you know, but it has error in it. To me, this is an oxymoron. Um, I think that the proposition is, is indefensible. On the one hand, they say, to one degree or another, the Bible has uh, some of God's truth in it, but on the other hand, it contains errors. Now, when someone says that, immediately they've stripped God of His sovereignty and His omnipotence. They're simply saying He's not a competent God. He can't keep His little creatures from messing it up. This is a great insult. I've already said this. I'll say it again. It's a great insult to I Am to hold such an oxymoronic position. On the one hand, they say He's God, but on the other hand, they say He's kind of a pathetic God. He's a feeble God. He's a weak God. He cannot accomplish what He desires to accomplish, although I just read to you earlier that God says, I do all my good pleasure. <laughs> it doesn't matter if the demons are in the way or men are in the way or armies of men or na armies of nations. Nobody can hold back the outstretched arm of God. So I want you to understand, if you or someone you love has a low view of Scripture, they're really talking about God. They're talking about their view of God. That is the bottom line. It's not really an honest position at all. Because in my mind, you have to say either the so-called God of the Bible is no God at all and therefore the Bible is blatantly false and inconsequential, or you have to say the God of the Bible is God and I must worship Him. There's really no middle ground. I know people like to carve out a soft, fuzzy, warm spot in the middle, but that place doesn't exist. 
Jesus said, you're either with me or you're against me. There's no middle place to be. There's no... I'm warning you as your pastor. There's no middle place to be. You're either sold out or you don't know Him. You haven't met Him. So I encourage you, as we've been saying the last couple of weeks, seek the Lord while He may be found. And lastly... Of course, I don't have time to talk about the historical evidences, the prophetic evidences, or the archaeological evidences. But those of you who are born again will understand this last one. It's the subjective evidence, right? You hear God in the Bible, right? You hear God speak to you in the Bible. This is the one that matters to the Christian. Yes, I'm so thankful the scholarship's been done. It's awesome. It's, 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 it's awesome the scholarship's been done. But even if the scholarship hadn't been done, <laughs> God speaks to me. God speaks to me right here. God changed my life right here. Some of you know I was converted. Somebody just read the Bible and I was converted. I heard someone read the Bible and I was converted by the power of the Word of God. It's why it affects me the way it does. It's why I scream. It's life. It can't be small to you. If it's small to you, you don't understand it. You've never experienced it. If it's marginal to you. Beloved, this is God's love letter to His people. I pray that you are availing yourself to it. I've been saying it, and I'm done. I've been saying it the last couple of weeks. What is it that God says? I'm real enamored with this passage and I've repeated it in several sermons and in my teachings and the Bible studies recently. Isaiah 65.1, God says what? Someone tell me. God says what? Here I am. Here I am. Oh, by the way, here's my letter to you. I write this to you. Are you interested? Do you want me? Here's how you can have me. Here's how you can have every good thing I have ever created. Here's how you can know why you exist. Here's how your heart and soul and mind can be filled up with my joy. It's right here. Here I am. Do you want me? Are you interested in what I have to say? This is the God of the Bible. Let me just close with a couple of Scriptures. 1 Thessalonians 2.13, Paul says, For this reason we... Also constantly thank God that when you received the Word of God which you heard from us, you accepted it not as the Word of men, but for what it really is. It's the Word of God which also performs its work in you who believe. That supernatural thing going on in us. And lastly, Jesus says, Matthew 7, 24-27, Therefore, Everyone who hears these words of mine and acts on them may be compared to a wise man who builds his house on the rock. And the rain fell and the floods came and the winds blew and slammed against the house. And Yet it did not fall, for it had been founded on the rock. Everyone who hears these words of mine and does not act on them will be like the foolish man who built his house upon the sand. The rain fell, the floods came, and the winds blew and slammed against that house, and it fell, and great was the fall. Any who reject this, great will be the fall, beloved. Great will be the fall. God has given you His Word. I exhort you as your pastor, avail yourself to it on a daily basis. Avail yourself to it. This is the Word of God. We've have, we have the Word in print. We have the Word incarnate in Jesus Christ. <laughs> He's given us all we need. Oh, and we have the Holy Spirit who teaches us. What an awesome God. Let's pray together. Lord, we praise You that You've done the scholarship through many men throughout the, the ages. You've done the scholarship through them. 
You've substantiated through textual criticism and science that we have an accurate copy of what You've given to Your people. Lord, it's an amazing thing. It's an amazing thing that You've done. But Lord, the most amazing thing, the most amazing evidence of all is that once we were blind, but now we see. Once we were dead, but now we live. Because You've revealed Yourself to us, a rebellious people, a haughty people, an arrogant people. A people who at best simply ignored You. But You have made Yourself known. You have given us Your revelation, Old Testament, New Testament, the 66 books of the Bible. You've given us the truth. Lord, I pray that we would be good stewards of it. How can we be lukewarm? How can we be lukewarm about this? I know I should be on my way to hell, but I'm not. I'm on my way to You. Because You came for me. And You saved me. Through the blood of Your Son. Oh Lord, I pray this will not be a small thing to us. I pray, Lord, I pray it will change every single day of the rest of our lives. And that we would, oh God, be good stewards. And we would humble ourselves under Your awesome Word. And we would be about doing it as, uh, as James says. We'd be doers of the Word. Oh God, thank You for this awesome, this awesome gift. We give all praise, glory, and honor to the matchless name of the Word incarnate, our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Amen. Can we, uh, can we sing?